Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Craig Foster, a former Australian soccer player, human rights activist and sports analyst with Stan Sport. He played 29 matches for Australia between 1996 and 2000, scoring nine goals and became the 40th captain of the Australian soccer team. He's recently been awarded for his work campaigning against the Australian government for their treatment of asylum seekers. He's also recently earned a law degree back in 2019. And Jonathan Moss, a first-class Australian cricketer playing 83 first-class matches for Victoria and also captaining his state. Away from sport, he made a successful transition into the business world and is the executive director at 360 Underwriting Solutions based in Sydney. He's a keen golfer and brother of Australian soccer player and manager Phil Moss. But wait, there's more. The very man that coined that phrase, Tim Shaw, an Australian radio and television presenter, actor, journalist, author and businessman. He has hosted Breakfast Radio in Canberra and is the director of the Australian Press Club Board. And since 2017, he's a member of the Federal Parliamentary Press Gallery. Tim is best known for his sales work with Demtel and is the face of their infomercials. Let's get started. And welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Craig Foster, a former Australian soccer player, human rights activist and sports analyst with Stan Sport. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Great to be here. Hey, thanks for coming. Yeah, and Jonathan good. Moss, an old mate of mine, a former first-class Australian cricketer. Welcome, Mossy. Thanks, Shane. Good to be here. But wait, there's more. The very man that coined that phrase, Tim Shaw, an Australian radio and television presenter, actor, journalist, author and businessman. Welcome, Tim. Mate, I couldn't have introduced me better, Shane. That's magnificent. That's it for me. That's perfect. So I'm really excited about the combination I've got here today. I try and put together um, people from all different walks of life, and one of the overarching things here is that you've all had very diverse careers. And I'll start with you, Craig. You've gone from a professional footballer to a lawyer to a social activist. Why? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. Um, the only thing I would have liked to add to that was a bit of time on Demtel ads. Yes. But uh, perhaps Tim can hook me up in future. Uh, <laughs> look, you know, I just think coming out of sport, you know, we learn a range of things, particularly in the multicultural game. Yep. It's brought me close to all of the multicultural communities in Australia and sees me sit on the Australian Multicultural Council today. And, of course, I was at 20 years at SBS as well. So... Uh, kind of from my early, early mid-teens, I've been involved in the the most uh, diverse cultural mix that you could possibly have in Australian life. And, you know, when we play for Socceroos or as a professional footballer, we don't just play in other countries, but we play with right. other countries. Yeah. Right? Our, our change rooms are incredibly diverse. And that gives you a certain worldview, a certain sensibilities, and so I think it's pretty natural to go from there to trying to help all those multicultural communities, and that means anti-racism and standing sure. up for them. And 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 Mossy, um, you started your, your cricket in, in New South Wales. You went south of the border to play for those bloody Victorians. You ended up captaining the state. Um, that was a big move back in the day. Everyone travels around now, and a bit like soccer, right? You go play for different clubs. But back when we were playing, it was very unusual for someone to change states. 
Um, you happy with that decision with that at the time? Yeah, well, Shana, the, I can tell you the reason I changed states to go to Melbourne was purely because you're in the New South Wales. I think I bowled to you once and you kept hitting me six out of the, out, out of the park, so you did me a favour, absolutely. But yeah, look, in, in today's environment, players are moving states yeah. left, right and centre, not just moving states, but franchises and countries even, so... Back in back in our day, it was it was quite rare. So yeah, it was a punt, but um, you know when you when you're kind of that age in your early twenties, you don't see it as a big risk. You just do it. Uh, there's an opportunity, and and fortunately, I didn't look back and stayed about eight years. Yeah, fantastic. And and Tim, mate, your career is very diverse. So you started, you've been in uh, uh, the press club, which you still are now. Um, you've been, I think, predominantly a salesperson. Yeah. And the face of Demtel, and we'll talk about that later. Some fantastic stories there. But also, um, you've been worked in radio across in Canberra, Breakfast Radio. Do you think these days that to exist? just in the corporate world these days, you need to have all those strings to your bow? Yeah, going back to what Craig said, diversity in career is so fantastic and expands your, your view of the world. So from an auto, auto electrician by trade right. to a door-to-door salesman to being on the road to building and managing a sales organisation, working on television, convincing people to buy stuff, yeah. um, and then ending up in the Federal Parliamentary Press Gallery, <laughs> a director of the National Press Amazing. Club, interviewing politicians and prime ministers. Um, mate, If there were three things I wanted to be, an actor, a lawyer, and a journalist, and they got me on fat pizza, which was the funniest bloody thing I've ever done in my life. And the bloke with the pizza shop killed me with a big knife. But that's another Jesus, story. Knives are run, run strong in your career. Very strongly. We sold. We sold a bloody million of them at Demtel. Now I reckon none of you three blokes would know what Demtel actually means. I don't actually. Um, something television, no. This is good. That's yeah. why he's a lawyer. <laughs> Demonstration television. Oh, there you go. Right. And I tell you what, whether you're the Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, you've got to demonstrate to the viewer what it's all about. Sure. The who, the what, the where, the when, the why. Yep. And from the voter's point of view, what's in it for me? I have no regrets in my career, and every day I wake up still breathing, which I always find convenient, uh, is a great way to start the day, and I learn something new every day. I think you were saying just before we got on air that um, uh, you sold over a million of those steak knives. Yeah. Were most of those to the parliamentary press club and to, to the politicians? <laughs> Look, there's two types of knives. You get the ones in the front, which Tony Abbott always appreciated, and right. then there's the ones in the back. But the thing about it, Shane... 100% no questions asked, money back guarantee. That's <laughs> the thing. There you go. Now, now Craig, um, interesting yeah. times at the moment and, and some of the fantastic work you've done campaigning against the last government and Scott Morrison. Well, and I want to talk about the open letter that you wrote to him later. But um, as the Albanese is the new Prime Minister, how's that going to be for doing the, the social work that you're doing? Hmm. Well, time will tell. Yep. Um, I campaigned on a range of issues. I... I tend to work with all governments, okay. so I campaigned against current refugee policy of Scott Morrison and the Conservative government, uh, as I will continue to do uh, against uh, the Labor government and Anthony Albanese. The reality is when it comes to that area, uh, you know, both parties have been very much singing off the same song sheet. And one of the reasons that is, is because that's kind of where Australia is at the moment. Clearly, Albanese thought that he couldn't uh, push any further on that. I think that's because much of our popular media 
uh, would have you know, pushed back on that and made it much more difficult for Albanese to be elected and, and for them to have the majority. So right. the country's in a position when it comes to refugees at the moment that uh, I think it's difficult for politicians to push too hard. So part of my job is to push them uh, work with civil society to try and change the policy, but also speak on these things and speak in every form I possibly can to sure. broader Australia yeah. about what we've done wrong, what we did to those people, lift their voices up and try and change the thinking of Australians. Because ultimately what that does is gives politicians some space to be able to bring new policy. Gotcha. And, and Mossy, what about, um, you're in the, the business world now, business underwriting, the Labor government, does that have an effect on you? Uh, not too much, just yep. more, more so around the, the governance and the compliance within right. the, the risk management space. So there are bits and pieces that they'll bring in that create more red tape from an underwriting perspective yep. um, and what documentation needs to be released to, 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 to the consumer. But generally speaking, it's, not, it, it, it's always evolving regardless of the government. It usually comes down to the lawyers, to be honest. Yeah, gotcha. Once the lawyers come in and, and decide to, to litigate, then everything starts to change by the governments. And, you know, the governments are led by the lawyers in the litigation. Sure. And then, Tim, I'll get your, your feedback on um, the current change in government. I, well, that's fortunate. I've played tennis against Anthony Albanese only oh, probably two or three months ago prior to going into campaigning mode. And um, very nice guy. Um, my thoughts then, when he could probably run a pretty good RSL club, how's he going to go running the country? Johnny Alexander <laughs> has also played tennis. In fact, Albo loves his tennis he game. I was with Anthony on the 25th of January this year at the National Press Club, and he walked in with his partner, Jody's son, Nathan. And my first question to him, and this is an informal pre-address chat, and it's, it's good because we welcome our guests in to the National Press Club. And I said... How'd you go in Queensland? Because he'd done a whistle-stop tour up there. He said, mate, the reception I got was fantastic. Uh, reaching out to people, meeting people on the street. That's the connection this Prime Minister is going to have. But there won't be the spin. There won't be the talking lines. He wants to know what Australia thinks, and that's the kind of government he's going to run. To Craig's point, it's going to be a kinder, more caring government. And the platform there, Medicare, childcare, aged care, the NDIS, NDIA... He's got a solid team of previous ministers from the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years, so there's experience on the ground. But the likes of Claire O'Neill, who's the new Home Affairs Minister, Craig's going to find a very listening ear with Claire O'Neill, a remarkable Victorian MP, new Home Affairs Minister. This is not going to happen overnight, and what Anthony is doing is delaying the start of Parliament to the end of July. It's a family-friendly government because a lot of his younger ministers and backbenchers have young families. That's a great connection for him. His mantra about the log cabin story is also important. Some of the media take the piss about that, but that's wrong. His single mother, a disabled pensioner, brought him up to understand the, the three things that he believes in, the Australian Labor Party, yep. the South Sydney Rabbitohs, and, of course, <laughs> the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Now, that's his I got core. one from three. I think he's going to find that Dutton, the leader of the coalition, is going to have to eat some humble pie. They're going to have to march on, and he'll have an open heart, too, with the ten... Uh, independents, including those new, incredibly talented Australians. Remarkable people. 
Now, did you notice I didn't say professional women? Because if you box all these people into some kind of, oh, we've got professional women. No, these are good Australians. Having come from political yep. backgrounds, and that's the experience I've no, He'll run an open government. He'll listen carefully to his state and territory leaders. I think the National Cabinet will morph into a new inclusive narrative. And I'll tell you something else. If this government at the end of the first three-year term is another couple of hundred billion in debt, so what? Because a trillion in debt was where we are today. Yeah. And Dr Jim Chalmers, who is a remarkable young fella, the new treasurer, with Andrew Charlton, the new member for Parramatta, Dr Andrew Lee, uh, Katie Gallagher. There is some talent in the Labor Party. Let them now have a crack at running the best country in the world. And is that your take on it, Craig? I'm, I'll refer to that open letter you wrote to Morrison, the City Morning Herald. Did you get any response out of that, do you think? From, uh, from the Prime Minister himself? or Well, we had a response, yeah. but um, you're, you're talking specifically about refugees yes, and, and more broadly today, talk about human rights yep. and, and just general care of people and, and wanting to make sure that um, you know, as we often hear in the slogans that we don't leave anyone behind, you know, in a, in a country that is, is a very wealthy country, uh, relatively speaking, that we shouldn't have people in poverty. And for instance, we still have the job seeker rate at the moment, which yep. is far below the poverty line, the Henderson poverty line, which means, you know, even at this point in time, you know, Australians can't afford even to pay basic rent, can't afford to, to buy the food and, and, and put on the table. So mm. in recent years, uh, I think all of our politics went too far, uh, became a bit extreme, uh, went too far to the right, clearly. Uh, and so the Conservative and the, the LNP, Conservative, a part of Australia, needs some time to reconsider where they're at. And this is what happened with the independents. You know, everyone is saying, listen, most of the these incredibly brilliant women um, who were the independents who came in, um, they were saying, look, we would, we are part of the the LNP party traditionally but we feel as though we've been left out left behind excluded and I think that's absolutely right sometimes uh, parties need some time in opposition yep. for the moderate voices to be able to regain their power yep. and those those politicians who I know uh, you know within the LNP for example who are very very good people um, and by the way I don't put Scott Morrison in that category but and you know it's, it's someone who just clearly doesn't care about other human beings uh, these people just don't have don't have power within the party, and clearly, with Peter Dutton now taking leadership, that's yep. not going to change in their interim. I think yeah. that they need to come back to be, become more centrist, and then we can have these these uh, moderate, these sensible discussions Robust, on a yep. whole range of issues, yep. uh, including refugees, because mm. it is incredibly complex. It's actually a hugely complex issue. Yeah. Displacement's increasing all around the world. We've got climate action now. Thankfully. I think 85% of Australians are incredibly relieved that we're going to stop the climate wars and just at least start to do something. Yes. Right? But what's, what climate is doing is displacing millions, if not tens of millions of people. There's over 100 million displaced now. I just saw the, the UN put out a couple of days ago. That means we need to talk about it. Yep. We don't need to scream about it and we don't need uh, dog whistling, we don't need racism, we don't need xenophobia. What we need to do is talk as a country about how we're actually going to respond to this. And I'm hoping, that, approach, yeah. I'm hoping that we can have that. We yeah. haven't had that for a long time on a range of issues. Climate, refugees, women, many things. Well, one thing we'll get under a Labor government um, is still very good support of sport in this country. And Mossy, I just want to ask you, um, particularly in the game of cricket, I want to ask you where cricket's at right now. 
the, one of the exciting things, I've got two daughters and a son, but um, women's cricket is really, it's, it's, it's blossoming and mm. it's doing well, as is a lot of other female sport in this country, and hopefully that will continue. Do you think cricket's in a pretty good space, the sport in general? Yeah, I think so. I mean, women's, if we look specifically at women's cricket, I think what they've done for the, for the wider game and, for, and, and I've got two daughters as well. Yeah. Um, so what they've done for the wider game and the wider community to allow them another, another option um, and to know that, you know, if they're, if they're good enough that they could have a good career out of it. Make some money. You yeah. know, it, yep. I see Alyssa Healy quite regularly down on the northern beaches and Alyssa yeah. is probably arguably the greatest female cricketer in the world at the moment. And she's a, she's a local, local girl and doing so well. And, and to have, I think, role models like that within, within the society for girls coming through school and out of school to look up to and go, well, actually, there's another option for me in terms of sport and not just netball or hockey or something like that. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's wonderful. And then you can add to the Matildas as well. Um, so some great sports coming out in um, for, for, for women's sport at the moment, yeah. We might just take a quick break here and we're back at probably my favourite restaurant in Sydney, District Brasserie here in Chifley Tower. And um, once again today, I can never go past the steak here. The hanger steak's fantastic. It's cooked on charcoal uh, with some size of chips. I think we might start with a little scallop entree as well. Um, and, of course, we're going to wash it down with probably a couple of glasses of red today. It's pretty cold outside. And an O'Brien beer that's never far away. Let's get started with that as well. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. If you're ready for your next thoroughbred racing adventure, then join the Osher Group. They exceed expectations on what racehorse ownership should look like. Australia's racing industry is enjoying unprecedented growth. Through a strategic, well-managed and data-driven approach, there is now a very real opportunity to build a profitable and sustainable thoroughbred portfolio. Find the Osher Group online at theoshergroup.com. I want to ask you, Craig, about sport and, and where you think soccer is at the moment. Uh, overnight, um, Roderick has pulled out mm. of our World Cup campaign, which surely has got to be the, the final nail in the coffin, I would say, for mm. Graham Arnold anyway. Um, we're going to struggle, aren't we? We are going to struggle midfield. already, yeah. even yeah. with yeah. Tom yeah. Uh, Rogic. Um, without him, it's more difficult, definitely. Yep. It's not impossible. Yep. It's possible. Um, and you never quite know, whether in sport or in football. Mm. Um, yeah, we're eminently capable of beating UAE. There's no doubt we were, we've been under strength in the last few games yep. and, and we did struggle against uh, Japan and Saudi Arabia and I think that's made everyone even more pessimistic. Mm. A mid-qualification uh, series was better. You know, we went away against Japan and put on a really good performance whilst we, we narrowly lost. So it's tough. 
yeah. very very tough. Where you know our football's in a position where we don't have the players as well at the moment that we used to have 20 years ago, and so that's something you know really significant that we mm. have to look at as a game. Thankfully, the A League, because of COVID, is now playing a whole bunch of young kids. And these kids, everyone is saying, wow, hang on a minute, these kids are extraordinary. All, all of a sudden the Bundesliga clubs want them and so on, right? And it kind of happened almost by default. But now we seem to, I think, be climbing that hill again yeah. to get back to some world-class players. Fozzie, I've got a question for you. Yep. Um, football was my first love. I've got a mm. father who came from the north of England from Manchester. Right. He's a, he's yeah, a United <laughs> tragic. Of course. Um, and your brother, Phil, so was a very good player. That's right. Well, not as good as me, but, you know, <laughs> that's why I have to go <laughs> into coaching. Cricket? Could he play cricket? No, he was useless at cricket. He got hit He got hit in the head by a cricket ball when he was 15, uh, oh, so he gave it away. <laughs> but my, yeah. my question is, and, and obviously, you know, Phil's been in it for a long time and you know him and you guys played together. Um, and, and Arnie's been close for a long time with Phil as great mates. My take on it is, I think, number one, the FFA have got a lot to answer to an, answer for. I think the way the A-League has dipped significantly mm. over the last 10 years. And I, as, as a fan of the game in this country, it just looks like the resources aren't there for someone like Arnie to achieve the result of getting us to the, to the World Cup. And I think... You know, when if you look back to the hooding, hitting days, and it was just Dutch, 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 and I just think it's it, it, the FFA have got a lot to answer to in their decision making in the last say decade. Yeah, I think that's right, um, Jonathan. Look, that's a big discussion, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I don't want to bore Tim and everyone else, but what I would just say is that sometimes, particularly with football, for whatever reason. Um, a lack of success or a bit of a crisis can sometimes be a good thing. Mm. And the fact that uh, the Socceroos are struggling to qualify should focus everyone's mind on what's happened in the last 15 years. Mm. And uh, and what I was, uh, you know, and when we didn't do well against Saudi Arabia and we had to then go through the qualification series, I was at pains to be pointing out that obviously the national coach's job has to be heavily scrutinised. This is, it's the people's team. But likewise... Uh, he can't carry all the blame. He can't carry all the issues. The, the game has to be interrogated itself. And if you look at uh, where our players are at the moment, they are no longer, as they were in 2006, playing for the top clubs in the world. Like, it's really simple, right? So what happened? Why isn't that, why isn't that the case? Um, and there's many, many factors behind that. The important thing is to have that as a national discussion mm. f- uh, uh, with the game. Uh, in uh, once again, in a sensible way where everyone has a voice and try and come out to the betterment of the game with a better plan going forward. And I think sport, certainly our sport, probably struggles with that a little bit. Administrators get very uncomfortable in having their, you know, their decisions scrutinised. Um, and I'd like to see the culture change so that every year we come together, we have the statistics, we have the, uh, you know, we have the data uh, to, to measure discussions against. And, and, you know, a bit like Australia, you know, we've got so much intellectual capability and capacity here and it's not being used by governments. We've got brilliant, brilliant people uh, and we need to bring everyone on the table uh, to get us where we need to be. We might just take a quick break. If you're enjoying this episode, maybe check out a previous episode where I spoke to Andrew Yates, the KPMG CEO, and Greg Dyer, the CEO of the Sydney Fish Markets, where we spoke about all things business and sport. 
Tim, when, when you walked in, I, I didn't realise how tall you, you were, and I, I looked at your pants, and almost too tall for your pants. I thought, is he, is he waiting for the floods here? But you, you want to see me on a surf? You want to see me on a surfboard? I look like a banana on a toothpick. But, but sport, being so tall, you were a great sweeper in soccer, basketball, yep. or a great fast yeah, bowler. Did, yep. Was sport a passion of yours? Couldn't bowl for shit. I made John Howard. I made John Howard look like. Bloody Shane Warne. That's how good. Wow. John Howard fucking yorked himself. Uh, he did. He did. Jeez, you can sell a steak knife. But look yeah. at the look at the look at the arm length, right? Yeah. I'm six foot six, and I was a right. pretty good wicket keeper. Okay. But yeah. rugby union at school, you'll love this story. Mate of mine, Con Pappas. He was the biggest, fattest Greek boy at school. Yep. And our wonderful rugby union coach Jimmy Gare just said, "Pappas, get into that scrum, get the ball." And all we do is follow Con because he was a moving. Concrete truck, all right, and that was the only way we'd get we'd get fantastic tries. Uh, basketball, I loved and played that into my twenties. But here's the thing: Northern Beaches boy, born and bred, born at Manly Hospital, like Zali Stegel. Yes, grew up supporting the Sea Eagles, the Waratahs, and of course uh, the Sydney Swans. Then I get a job in Canberra. Now, you cannot <laughs> fucking no. work in Canberra unless you support Ricky Stewart's Canberra Raiders, right, right yes. the GWS, yep. and, of course, the Brumbies. Mm. Yeah. And I lived five minutes from GIO Stadium. So sport nirvana for me. I could go and enjoy my Fantastic. sport and then talk about it on the radio. But to Craig's point, sport is such a unifying it is. community grassroots Involvement And whether it's the T-ball that I took the kids to school. i got three daughters, two of them played soccer, football. And my middle daughter, now living in London, gets clipped over the year because she calls soccer, soccer. It's yeah. football. Yeah, that's and right. in the pub she's working in, 10 pound an hour, I might add. Um, you know, she's got more soccer, uh, football fans yeah. around and can a stick at. Um, never good at it. Loved watching it. Love all sports. Yeah. And I, I think Craig knows that the unifying ability to ensure administrators do what Albo's been doing, listen to the community oh, yeah. and bring it up through grassroots. Well, it's a good model. And right you know across. what? And the way that prime ministers act and senior ministers act and speak publicly is sadly incredibly important and influential, right? And when, you know, prime ministers are talking about multicultural communities in, in a way that's a discriminatory, at times racist... Uh, you know, we're talking about Sudanese youth gangs and, you know, all of these things. I think people underestimate how powerful that is. Yeah. Um, public figures need to understand they have a responsibility to speak about communities and other people in a measured way, in an inclusive way. Yep. And when you do that, it genuinely does filter down. It's yeah. very, very important. It's a really good point you make about sport unifying and... Um in recent, and I know cricket, like some of my best mates are still through the game of cricket and, yep. and Mossy yep. and I have known each other for years and we yep. reach out and whenever you see those people you played sport with, it's like you haven't missed a day. Yeah. Unfortunately, cricket, mate, we've lost some absolute legends in recent times. Yeah. Rod Marsh, who I was at the Cricket Academy with, uh, Shane Warne, who you, yep. I know you can talk about Warney, you know Warney, you knew Warney very well and played yep. with him as I did. Uh, we lost Andrew Simons too recently and yep. Andrew Simons was um, from West Indian parents, born in England, adopted out. Um, was given the opportunity to play in Australia. Yeah. Turned his back on England, had the opportunity there because he wanted to play for this country. Mm. We lost him at 46. It's been tough times, hasn't it? In, yeah. In the cricket world. Oh, Shana, it's um, amazing. They say things come in threes and yeah. you talk about the three legends of the game there. But um, it was interesting down at Warney's, Warney's Memorial. Um, and you talk about the galvanising 
mm. feeling of, of the game of cricket. And we're down there and, and, and you're talking, you know, the, the, all the different eras are there and the players you play with and against. And then you look up on the screen and you realise, oh, you're here for Shane Warne's yeah. passing. Like, it was, it was quite, yeah. quite bizarre. Mm. Um, and even just talking to Simo down there as well, he, uh, you know, and then a few weeks later. So it's, it, it's really quite surreal and... Um, you know, there's another good friend of ours, Ryan Campbell, who yeah. played for WA. He had a heart attack okay. and yep. he came through quite well. But uh, strange that it all just kind of harped on on, on cricket. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I think, um, just moving away from that slightly, I think um, sport in general in this country, especially professional sport, I think the government's got and the, and the governing bodies have got a lot to work on in terms of how you transition out of those professional sports and into life after because you've got a long, long yeah, time afterwards. And, yep. and a lot of these issues that we're finding come years later when the ex-players haven't truly understood their purpose in life and their identity and who they are. So that's, I think that's something that's yeah. really got to be Do you think that's constant. a big issue, Craig, about... Um, you look at... Um, I think it's this former St Kilda player now who's just been done on drug trafficking charges. Mm. Sam mm. Fisher, I think his name was. Right. Um, and, like, fantastic career in sport. The minute that, that the, the contract ends, that that's it. Yeah. There's, there's a big life after, and yeah. everyone here's Mel. Well, you two are meant to, to do that, but yeah. a lot of a lot of sportsmen don't, do they? Yeah, very difficult. It's, it's a big, really important issue. The, the player unions and associations is something they're really trying to work hard on. But in our experience, Jonathan, uh, in football, I mean, it's a working class game that you know originated in England and so on. And the feeling was always around: well, if you if you play football and you're doing something else, you're not focusing enough on yep. football. Yep. yep. Okay, you're not yep. a good player if you're actually studying law or if you're, un- if you're interested in politics or if you're engaged in civil society or if you're going out and doing volunteering. You know, like, you know, and still today, sadly, we have some professional coaches in Australia who still try and limit the, the uh, external interests so that dumb. athletes have. And, yep. and so we've tried very, very hard to turn this around, principally through the unions by saying yep. to all of the young players. But I must say, when it comes to human rights and other things, I think, all athletes in the country should have a much broader education. Yep. Not totally everyone great. is able to go to university, and all of the others at least need to understand uh, disadvantage. They need to understand multiculturalism properly, and yep. they certainly need to understand the political system properly and understand that this concept that athletes shouldn't engage in broader social life, that you should just crack a ball and never yep. say anything is discredited and over and we want you to be vocal we want you to be an active social citizen and yeah. look at David Pocock former Wallabies Spot on. Uh, Spot skipper on. in the ACT hopefully will be an ACT senator they're still counting there's a man that said I will not marry my beautiful fiance until all Australians can marry exactly. equally a man that has Fantastic. been a committed fighter in relation to climate action yep. real climate action and integrity and honesty. Now, on a, on a sporting field, you don't go out to cheat. You don't go out to lie. You go out to deliver your best, be the fittest you can be. And I think the metaphor for David Pocock and for many more to come, John Eels has made a great contribution in the business community. Yeah. This is where these men and women can move through into government and into those decision-making roles and actually make a big difference. They've come from discipline because to be successful at your levels, boys, 
you had to be fit. You See, had I, to be I, disciplined. I don't, I don't know David Pocock, so I hope he's been sincere, not just trying to some more time with the boys. <laughs> <laughs> and either way, good on him. He's a great bloke. He's a great bloke. He's a great yeah. bloke. He's great. Well, you see now there's many athletes. The thing about David was he was an, an active... Well, we call it an activist, but actually um, that's because... Most people are, are kind of taught that they shouldn't do or say too much. Or it's a very negative connotation, I think, and it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. No. I mean, if you're just he's speaking out about a same-sex marriage, well, yeah. that's that's just a basic yep. right and a basic human right. And then he went and changed him, chained himself to a uh, tractor, you know, up in the Hunter, I and think. Got it was. arrested. Yeah, which was fantastic because he was walking the walk. Which, he's the Bob Brown of Canberra. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and athletes believe in that, right? But now you see Naomi Osaka, black. Lives Matter. You Amazing. see uh, Lewis Hamilton wearing a rainbow helmet when he goes to mm. Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, uh, Grand Prix. He doesn't run the sport. Uh, he can't change the actual policy. He can advocate for it mm. uh, publicly and internally. But what he's doing is going and making a statement that I believe in these things and when I'm here, I'm not going to turn a blind eye. And if you look at, for example, the opposite case of what Greg Norman's doing, you know, in Saudi Arabia with the golf yeah. and so on, is, is the opposite example. So athletes increasingly, I think wonderfully, I really support it, they're increasingly saying, I have this opportunity, you know, I have this platform because people support us and I want to talk about good things and, and vulnerable and disadvantaged people. But to do that, Fozzie, they've got to have the support of the governing body. Right. So yep. the governing body has to support, and, and I totally agree with you. I think yep. we've lost the characters in the game. We've lost the honesty yep. of, 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 of athletes being able to... Speak, yeah, speak how they how they feel as long as it's as long as it's not like hurting deliberately anyone, yeah. hurting yeah, anyone. It's been sanitised. But yeah, they should be able to speak the truth and how they feel because it gives a good understanding and it, and it also allows the fan to really understand understand the athlete that they're supporting. Yeah. So, so um, I'd love to see the corporate world do a lot more for sport and mm. for sportsmen and women. And mm. I think by that, don't, just don't take all the time. Yep. Uh, just don't put your corporate dollars up and right. take all the benefits. Yep. The average length of any sports person or woman across the world is only four years. <laughs> so they get their pound of flesh. It'd right, be good to see years. that some of these corporate sponsors actually start employing, giving um, opportunities and education to our sportsmen and women. Gil McLaughlin, if you're listening, you're negotiating yes. billions plus yeah. for television rights for the AFL. Yeah. Let's ensure that we've got support, help and training for men and women post-sport, that the corporates get involved in that in mentoring programs. And this is where, again, um, from a branding point of view, Dutton said this week, corporate Australia's walked away from the Liberal Party. Really? Corporate Australia has started talking about climate action. Mm -hmm. Corporate Australia talked yep. about same-sex marriage. Corporate exactly. Australia has as much responsibility yep. to its consumers and to its vested interests exactly. and shareholders as every voter in Australia. Exactly. So, to your point, Mossy, bring it all together. And this is where experience like Craig, Zali Steggles, David Pocock can advise government and the new sports minister. It's more than just the six o'clock game. I want to ask you a question, Tim, about, yeah. about the, how the media has changed. And it, it's changed. It was changing every day for starters, right? But it's changed so much in the last 10 years with social media. Um, when, when you're in the press gallery or the press club, is, is there anything off the record? It's a great question. And um, I'll answer it this way, that when we do speak, and I've got to tell you a quick one, and I won't name this minister. Sure. yep. Uh, during COVID, walking downstairs into the National Press Club, and I said, how's the family going? I'm a, I'm a nice bloke. I like to talk to everybody. How's your family going? 
Oh, not too bad. I've got twins. One's studying really well on the computer and the other one's playing too much gaming stuff. Yep. And I'm really worried about the one at uni. I'm more concerned about him not getting COVID but getting an STD. And I said, this is the Minister of the Crown. And I'm like, hello. So uh, that's not off the record now, Minister, and she's not a minister anymore. Yeah. It was a she. Yeah. Uh, yes. Wow. So there is off the record, but then you've got your gotcha. Should mm. a Prime Minister know how much a loaf of bread is and a litre of milk? Yeah. I reckon they should. I'm yep. all right with that. Margaret Thatcher did. Uh, in terms of the drops on news stories, how one journalist will get it first, and that's the front page of the Australian or the Finn Review, I'm a bit narky about that. Um, Mr Menzies never did press conferences. He literally would expect every journalist to listen to him in Parliament to find out what the next policy was actually going to be. Um, I have a high regard and a great respect for the journalists of the gallery, but in this last shitstorm, which was the press pack on the road, you've got to start asking the questions, why are you jumping on a plane with a political leader and you don't know where the plane's landing, you know what policy is going to be announced. There needs to be a new approach. Yep. And I think the Albanese government, by his own action, by calling in Tanya Plebisek to apologise about calling uh, Peter Dutton Voldemort, uh, like this is not a children's playground. This is the running of the most beautiful country in, a, in the yeah, world. Yeah, you know, you talk about uh, Menzies then. Uh, one of the famous Menzies quotes that I love, he was down talking to the Wharfies and... Um, some guy yells out, hey, Menzies, what are you going to do about our housing? Mm. And he says, well, for starters, I'm going to put an H in front of it. <laughs> and what about Goff? Goff was opposition leader, and one of these pompous old blokes got up and said, I'm a country member. And Goff said, I remember. <laughs> now, I ask everyone the same question um, that comes on Lunch with Lee, and I'll, I'll start with you, Mossy. Um, if there's a young boy or girl who wants to go into sport as a career, what advice would you give them? Oh, thanks for the heads up, Shannon. <laughs> um, hard work, patience, yep. time. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, you've got to do the most basic things longer than anyone else yeah, to well be done. better. Hard work. Craig? Oh, very much the same. I think there's kind of within sport and then outside of it. So within sport, you know, there's a million people who will help them in their dedication and all the things that you need to do. Keep the love of it also. Uh, but all and outside of sport, though, is uh, always be interested in other things. Yes. So understand your broader society, understand the world. That's what sport brings you into. Take yeah. advantage of it. Well so said. understand human rights, social justice, uh, engage in charities through sport when you have the opportunity, uh, and um, use what sport gives you. Not just the stats, you know, and the, and the number it. of caps and goals. That's it. And Tim, if a young boy or girl wants to go into uh, the TV or the, the media world, what advice would you give them? Never sell a product you don't believe in. Okay. Use it yourself. And there's three very basic things. Honesty, integrity and personality. Yeah. And that will always shine through. Start early. You've got every single young kid with a mobile phone now and they can start broadcasting, start communicating. But believe in yourself. Uh, mm. Never be afraid to ask for help. And there is help out there. And I think a lot in the Australian media now can do a lot more to mentor the new, young, bright stars of the future. Mm. Totally Particularly so, diverse candidates. Yes. Yeah, and I was just going to say, the mentoring piece. You know, as a young kid, you, 
you're having good people around you and, 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 and people being able, who have been there and done it, who can, who, who can help guide you. Because you're right, social media is an absolute minefield at the moment. And if you don't have grounded people who have been there and done it to help you move through this this world because mm. it's a complex world as we know having teenage kids yep. it's uh it's difficult so they've got to have really good people around them and help guide them they will make their own choices but if they get the right guidance i think well, it's... i think the, the one common thing that all three of you bring is that um you haven't been scared to upskill yourselves um to move with the times to um but also Every, everyone gets opportunities every day, I think, and to listen and, and take that opportunity and because you never know where you're going to end up. Be nice, be kind. Um, don't just think about yourself. And uh, that's a really, really good message out of today's podcast. I want to thank you all for coming on the show. We're going to have a Pleasure. nice lunch now. Oh, We're beautiful. At District Brasserie. They have the best steak here. Steak Fritz, by the way. Steak Fritz. Oh, yeah, well, Georgie Graydon. I'm yeah. struggling. Georgie Graydon had the steak Fritz. So I'm having the steak Fritz. <laughs> well, Georgie does. We love Georgie too. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Cheers. All right. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Craig Foster, John Moss and Tim Shaw. Thanks to our sponsors, O'Brien Beer and the Osher Group. And thanks to District Brasserie once again for a fantastic lunch. Perfect place to come in the middle of winter. Make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from and do us a favour, hit five stars and if you're passionate, please leave a review. Our official Lunch With Lee photography was done by Felicity Kelly. You can find her out on Felicity Kelly Portraits on Instagram. And big thank you once again to our producer, Dan McHugh. And we'll be back soon with some other legendary guests on Lunch with Lee talking about sport, music and business. We'll see you soon.